In this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, what is data-driven security? I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring what is data-driven security. And with me today to do that is Bob Rudis, co-author of Data-Driven Security. Bob, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great, Timothy. It's great to be here. So, and we were kind of talking about this a little bit pregame. I, I love data-driven security. I, of course, I, I'm probably um, a little bit more into statistics than most people. Uh, I am a baseball fan, and I am fully on board with the sabermetrics community and, and all that. So jumping to this book wasn't, wasn't that big of a leap for me. But the other, the, one of the things I really liked about the book was that it was so readable for, you know, like not just for a statistics book, but it made it a lot more interesting. And it wasn't like, I never felt myself like falling asleep on some of the concepts. I really, I really appreciate that. Jay and I, Jay Jacobs is my co-author and we, we really tried hard to make the book very accessible, uh, both, both reading and enjoyable reading wise, but also coming at statistics and visualization and, and just the, the, the whole data driven mindset. Uh, using security examples, uh, one reason for that, and I know we weren't going to go into the book a whole lot, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but um, one of the things that kind of frustrates a lot of folks when they're in statistics classes, especially if you're an infosec-minded person, because you're 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 kind of that engineer mindset, and you like the the subject matter and want to dive into that from a data perspective, and then when some stats professor is talking iris data, and you're like, what the I don't care about flowers, you know, and stuff like that. So we, we wanted to come up with a way of having some data sets and, you know, some resources that folks that are in InfoSec who are quite narcissistic about that kind of stuff because they love that data and don't want to look at other data to have a resource that kind of tied the statistics and all the other stuff with that data so they would have something tangible to play with and, you know, you know really get a lot more out of it than it would be if you were using some more canned traditional data sets. So. Right. Yeah, and, and the... Um I remember taking stats 101 and it was really tough to get there. Even though I was like so much into statistics, I don't know if it was a teacher or just like you said, some of the content can get kind of, can drag you down a little bit, but it was, sometimes it was hard to stay awake in class. Um, so what's, uh, and I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here and ask you a different question. Cause you brought up something that I, I liked and I want to dig into a little bit more. What is a data driven mindset? So it's, it's actually, I, I think I could describe it literally in one word, but that would really not, not, not help your podcast a whole lot, but I'll start with one word. Well, this is a shorter podcast, so feel free to just... This, this is true, yeah. So actually, I think the main, the main aspect of a data-driven mindset is curiosity, and that's why I have been confused why there aren't more InfoSec professionals mm-hmm. of, all, of all stripes, because you know, like InfoSec is now a very broad subject that you can go through, but at every single level... There's always digging for answers of some kind, right? It's an IR analyst like looking through bits and bytes and hex and all that kind of stuff to be able to find what you know the adversaries are trying to accomplish. If you're an auditor, because I consider them part of the profession, you're, you're digging to try to find truth in systems and controls. If you're someone that's doing vulnerability management, you want to actually find what systems. You know, so there's all these all these different areas where folks are really digging for answers, and that's that curiosity and that need to find out answers really translates well into this whole like the, the the I guess more advanced data driven or maybe a different aspect of data driven security which is you know coming up with answers that you can uh, derive from a, a different way of just been normal digging so like we spend a lot of time in infosec 
counting things. Uh, we spend a lot of time in InfoSec, <laughs> you know, hunting through memory for patterns of things. Right. And, and really, you know, when you take that to the next level, you, you start looking instead of just at raw counts, because you'll see that in a lot of reports that a lot of vendors write. Okay. Um, you, you go from there to actually looking at things with a statistical mindset. So looking for distributions, using different things to find patterns, being able to compare things in a, in a, in a better way than just doing a, a basic count and a basic comparison of like division or, or, or multiplication or things like that. And it's coming at it from that angle so that you're finding real truth in things versus kind of a surface le le level truth in things. And I guess one one way to describe that is that, you know, there's a number of reports out there that will basically say, you know, this month there was, we saw a hundred of these things. This month we saw 105 of these things. <laughs> Therefore, there's been a, you know, a, a, a five, an increase of five and you have to figure out the percentage for that. And in reality, you know, you're probably not dealing with the entire population. You're probably dealing with the sample of, of that population. Therefore, there's errors involved with that. And then you, when you actually do a statistical comparison, you've got these er you know, this error that, that, that would occur. And there's actually no difference between those two things. Yet we as engineers, because there's a lot of engineer mindsets in InfoSec, want that level of precision. And I guess it's being uncomfortable with um, uncertainty is probably what helps maybe define that data-driven mindset over a traditional you know, data work, data working or data engineering mindset. Yeah, and I think uh, the, the statistics you're talking about, you, you kind of you get into that with the book a lot too where you're kind of – because there's a lot of – especially in like a sock or a, within a seam in itself, you're collecting all this different data that you know applying a little data-driven security to it uh, will – um, kind of bring out information that you can then use for whatever purpose. Yeah, I mean the 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 one thing that I we hoped folks would take away from the book, and we probably didn't cover it to the degree that we would have if it was just focused on it, because we really this is more of a survey book of all the different aspects of you know data science associated with security than anything specific like just hardcore stats across the board for it. But you know when when you're working with the volumes of data that we have. InfoSec professionals, engineers tend to want to count every single thing they possibly can count, look at every single packet, every single log entry, and, and all that kind of stuff. And in reality, you know, there's lots of concepts from statistics like sampling where you don't need everything. You can actually take samples and, and do things you know, using, using that statistics mindset to derive answers or to get further down the path and trying to work with everything. And while, while I know that there is a lot of large-ish data, I refuse to say the, the, the BD words together. So there, you know, there, there, there's a lot of volume of data in InfoSec. Sometimes you don't really need to go through all of that volume to find insights that you might need to be able to solve a particular problem. And, and I think that that may be one of the other things that the uh, from the previous two that I've already mentioned is, you know, we we, we may not actually be asking the right questions at InfoSec to be mm -hmm. able to come up with the right answer. So I think that curiosity leading to a more statistical approach, being comfortable with uncertainty and knowing the right questions to ask so that you can go at it from a different scientific way of looking at it versus the traditional counting way that we tend to go look at things. Right. No, absolutely. So, and and and, and I'm and, and for everyone that thinks I'm being elitist now, because it does sound like that a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I still count things, and I used to count things a lot, and I, I used to kind of get trapped into that mode of doing things. And every so often, I'll catch myself doing that now too. It's a really hard mindset to not get out of because we're hardwired 
as engineers, as investigators to want to go do something like that. So it's really kind of unlearning a lot of that stuff or learning things in a different way and applying it in a different way so that you get comfortable working with it in, 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 in that other, in a, in other mode. You know. Well, yeah, and that's that's what uh, you know. Statistics in general, it, it's the curiosity is trying to answer different questions. So, right. like you said, are we asking the right questions? Do we, you know, I think we're still kind of feeling that out a little bit about what's what's important and what we should be asking. All right, so we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but so uh, is there anything else you can add to what is data driven security that we haven't already discussed? I, I, I think those three points we really cover it well. You know, the whole be, being curious, uh, mm -hmm. approaching it with a statistical mindset, but 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 also, um, you know, just just having having the, the 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 guts to ask questions differently and to basically forcing yourself to think in terms of those different ways of looking at things than we traditionally look at things. I think that probably, in a nutshell, so kind of covers some of that 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 data driven mindset. So who should use data-driven security then? Is this something that an analyst needs to do, a manager? It feels like a lot of managers want to do this, um, but it almost feels like you have to have someone that's really proficient at this. I, so I, I think that everyone is on a path to be able to do this right now, no, no matter where they are in their organization. I don't care what level they're at, whether they're um, an, 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 a junior IR analyst just out of college, you know, getting put in and having to deal with SOC stuff on a regular basis, whether you're a seasoned, you know, firewall professional and, and know the ins and outs of all the rules in your environment, or whether you are someone who's doing, you know, um, you know, maybe building a metrics program to understand how different levels are working, or if you're a risk professional or even an auditor. Um, and, I, and I know I, I would catch a lot of flack for including auditors in the InfoSec profession, but honestly, they, they are a part of the profession. And I think we do do them a little bit of a disservice by kind of keeping them at, at arms or a couple arms lengths or, or throwing them to, to, to the tigers as we sometimes do. And and I think really every single level from from management all the way down should, can do this because it's it's basically looking at things differently. Like I, I, I take a SOC as an example and I used to run a security operations center. And you know some of the base metrics that are out there for knowing if the SOC is working properly are are pretty bad, right? Like I... I I, I could see people when they were reporting things and it's, you know, this person spent this much time on this and these people spent this much time on that. Um, not a lot of details of the actual incidents themselves. No one using a really good format like like Varus. We were, we were actually talking about some of that before the show. You know, Varus is one way to actually record incidents and that's how the DBIR uses it to to kind of get the insights it does. None of that really, you know, is I, I've seen work at organizations up until now. I haven't, haven't seen folks actually use the, the, those methods um, and then, you know, I haven't seen orgs embrace, you know, the the whole you know, risk stuff, right? So you hear all this, you know, like we're, we're moving to a risk-based organization from a compliance-based organization. But, like, you know, what does that even mean? Do you really understand what you're even doing? Are, are you applying those principles well? You know, that that's a whole science in and of itself uh, with, with based upon uncertainty. And then you've got folks at the management level who are trying to understand how everything fits together, you know, how, how they should be applying budgets, how they need to communicate their program. And you've got all those aspects of it as well, too, because as we sort of went through in, in the book, and I, I hate always referring to the book. It feels like we're always trying to sell the book, and we're, we're really kind of not. Uh, we, we, we hope it's out there. We hope people enjoy it. But it's not something that we, we always try to focus on. But we went through the book to cover those basic things about you know, how do you actually do some exploratory work on any given t in any, any type of data set that's out there? 
how do you actually then ask questions and then be, go beyond the you know the exploratory stuff to find the insights using to, to, using stats or even just counting for that matter for some of those stats. Um, and then, you know, how do you actually communicate that through either words or through visualization? Um, and then how do you actually really communicate that up, like, say, in a dashboard perspective or in a report perspective to folks? You know, trying to show folks that all across the board, every single one of those components is actually really valuable. And I think one of the things that I, that, that I think the data-driven security mindset will, will enable is folks at every level to appreciate folks at the other levels, right? I don't think there's a lot of risk people that actually really do value the IR work that, that that a lot of the analysts do in an organization or outside an organization. Similarly, you know, I think you know perhaps pen testers may may not value some of the work that the compliance folks do or the vol management people or even the risk people do because they're looking at it from their own perspectives. And when you adopt a data driven mindset, I think it really helps you see things from other folks' perspectives. So just just being able to do that, I think, helps everyone do their jobs better, regardless of what the specific outcomes of applying anything in data driven security in one particular area. Okay, so keying in on that, what what are the benefits? Uh, and, and you touched on a couple there, but what are all the benefits of using a data driven security approach? So I, I think one is you know you'll eventually learn how to ask the right questions. That takes a that takes time. I mean, there's a reason why PhDs spend ten years getting their PhDs. Right, they're they're learning how to ask the question, even if they have a even if they have already a, a basic question in mind. They're learning how to ask and formulate and re-ask and then dig deeper and re-ask and dig deeper. Um, you know, they, they spend a lot of time doing that. So if they're going to do that for 10 years when they've got nothing else to do but think and go do that kind of stuff, you know, for someone who's got a day job, who's got to like fight fires and, and, and do, like, I guess what one might call real work on top of this other work, um, it's really hard to really kind of sit back and, and think of what the questions might be to make a particular org better. And you'll notice I'm not giving any, any of those questions out because I don't know the organizations that folks have. I don't know what the specific problems and challenges. I don't know what's working well in a particular org. So I can't give you anyone a list of questions to just start asking. That's why it's really it's aligned to the particular organization that you're in and the particular roles that, that folks are in. It's like really trying to figure out if you're trying to make things better, if you're trying to understand things differently or solve problems, what are the questions that are actually going to get you to solve those problems? I think that's one of probably the, 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 the biggest things. Then actually knowing how to attack that problem statistically or scientifically, maybe even a better way to phrase that, because the word stats tends to tends to freak some people out. And, 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 and you're rightly so, because they're, 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 there's enough equations in most stat books to make mm -hmm. people just want, want, want to jump. And actually, it's funny um, that, that there's a, someone who used to be the chief data scientist at, at, at Bitly, Hillary Mason. She, she does, I think, investment-related stuff now. Um, but she had, she had a rule that it's called the Hillary Mason rule, where you know, for every equation you put into a, into a slide deck, you have to show a picture of a kitten. Uh, be, to, just to offset that, what that does to people, right? And 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 we and we always put things like trigger warning equations in our presentations and stuff like that, so that people know that they're coming up. It, it's pretty intimidating stuff if you kind of go at it that way. So, you know, maybe perhaps instead of saying statistical you know methodology, it's like a scientific approach, right? Just using the scientific method that most of us had to go through in college to do any kind of experiment. You, know, you set up a question, you set up the, the rules and how you're actually going to go about answering that question and you come up with an answer and validate whether that answer is, is actually pretty good or not. And I think that scientific approach may not be what we always go through. Like we, we do investigative stuff. We do uh, you know, you know, probably more like forensic-y stuff. Like I, I, so I'm old enough that Quincy was like my whatever C CSIS or whatever back in the day. Like we, we, we attack things as if we're a lab person working on the slide that Quincy gave us versus actually being like Sherlock and actually going out things and looking at things from a scientific kind of method approach. Um, and I think the other one is 
communication. And I'm while, while I like the other two aspects of it, um, it's probably obvious from the things that I tweet out and put on a lot of the blog stuff is I really love the communication side of it. And you know, I focus a lot on visualization for the communication stuff, but you know, it's really the whole thing of being able to package up the question that you had, all the stuff that you did to come at an answer, and then communicate that answer to whatever the audience you're trying to communicate it to, and kind of do that across the board. So imagine the power that at any level someone has if they learn how to do that across the board. They, they can communicate the technical stuff visually and with words really, really well to the people that they work with you know, at, at, at a lateral level. They can communicate what they're doing and what they found up to their management at probably a technical management level and maybe even then use those skills to communicate really what the insights are, what the important components are to a management level. If you can do all that, you will be wildly successful in your career and be able to almost write your own ticket no matter where you actually go. And you may not even need to know that that much level of in-depth stats to be able to kind of do that. And really, we are such at we are such, at such a basic proto-science later in, in, in information security that you don't really need to know a lot of advanced level stats to be able to have some pretty interesting insights for some of the data that we have. So it's not really as intimidating as most people think it is. Okay, so uh, so what is step one then for implementing data driven security into an organization? Um, so I, I think actually, and you know, one of the the best things you can do, and I, I know a lot of orgs have probably begun to do this or have tried to do this with all sorts of other initiatives that a lot of enterprises have, but really knowing what data sources that you have available and kind of cataloging them and you know basically trying to do a basic identification of what kinds of information they hold, what types of groupings of answers, like so just broad level categories of answers that you might be able to look in these particular data sets for, which ones would work well together. Basically just have a really good data inventory. Um, you know, even even at a, if you want to use more of the data warehousing people's terms, like a good data dictionary, a library of data dictionaries of all these things and how they put together and how they on how they relate, so that when you do have a question that you need to ask, and you know that that question could be, it could be something as broad as you know, do we have lateral movement within our organization from 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 adversaries that 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 have come, that have broken in? You know, do do we have a problem with vulnerabilities. Like, do we have old vulnerabilities just hanging around? Do vulnerabilities revisit themselves? How do they revisit themselves? Who's causing that to happen? Do we have repeat vis- Do we have repeat you know, antivirus infections in particular people, groups, et cetera? Like, these are all high-level questions that you might be able to start asking with depending on, on, on what the problems are in your org. And once you've got that, you have the data sources, now you know, okay, I need to go use these data sources if I want to answer these questions. And then you basically go from there saying, okay, how am I going to analyze those things? For a lot of things, basic counting may, may work really well. You may want to look at distributions, which then automatically brings in stats. You know, and that's really basic stats that, I, that everyone that's listening to, to, to this is completely 100% capable of understanding and doing. I guarantee it. You can, you can hit me up on Twitter if, if, if you don't believe that or having trouble, and I'll be, I'll be glad to help because I, I know everyone listening to this can actually do that. Right. Um, right. And then so, I, so after that, um, it's, there, are, there are some classes. Uh, then after that, it's commu- you know, basically the, the communication side. And yeah, if if you've got results from that, taking that those results and actually going and figuring out how you're best going to visually and and with text communicate that, um, and then actually doing the presentation the, the presentation of that. Now I left out machine learning, um, and and other other more detailed components. Some of those are wrapped into stats. Some of those aren't. There's some aspects where you can d- dive in more if you need to, and dive dive in less if you don't need to. Um, so it's hard to it's hard to give people like an entire complete roadmap, and we actually you know did did survey the different you know stats methods and machine learning methods in the book for a reason. So that's folks got a taste, and if you like and gravitate towards one area and want to be really strong in one area, 
that's actually really awesome because no, there are like it's kind of funny. There are no unicorns. Like there, like the, 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 people are always referring to unicorns in, in data science. Like there, there virtually are no unicorns. There's no one person that has every every single characteristic that that makes up data science and is really good at every single component. And you're really better off working with multiple people, two or three, if you can if you can if you can get away with it in your organization of folks with different strengths in different areas coming together to kind of solve these problems. You 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 could be the lone rat the lone ranger there trying to do everything on your own, but it will actually work a lot better if you can if you can actually do this as a team. Yeah, I think that's important too because then you can kind of bounce off the ideas off and like you're saying, getting started knowing data sources, just that that in itself is going to take some some time and some manpower, and then you know trying to figure out the questions that you need to be answering. So, uh, do you have a, like a specific example for like a type of question that someone would want to answer? Um, so I, I I guess w- w- one thing that would be interesting for folks to attack because this this may have more broad appeal than than, than some other ones, right? So. A lot of folks are dealing with indicators of compromise right now. It's like this mm-hmm. whole information sharing thing. I, I have opinions that I won't I won't go into here, but the whole information <laughs> sharing movement um, is, is kind of a big thing right now. But you know, there's a ton of of indicators of compromise, and there's a ton of extra layers on top of that relating to the actual adversaries and their characteristics and all this kind of stuff in there. And and I, and I guess you know one thing you want to be able to do at least with the raw indicators of compromise is to be able to avoid wasting human time dealing with these indicators and be able to make automated decisions from Mm -hmm. these indicators. I I, I know a ton of folks that are involved in that aspect of the operational components of a security program who literally have to spend time weeding through these indicators, in essence, wasting their really awesome talents on vetting IP addresses when they could actually be hunting really bad bad actions within their organization from folks that have actually broken in like it's it because that that takes a lot of time and their skill sets are much better used for that so coming up with a more automated way of of dealing with these indicators of compromise would be great but but then you're left with how how much can you trust these these things that you're getting how do you do automate the review of those how do you develop confidence ratings for, for those kinds of things for your particular organization so that you know that if you're going to be blocking an IP address because it passed through some algorithm that you've created, that it's not basically destroying a business process that, that's out there or customers coming in or whatever. And I think that that question there is a really interesting and intriguing one for all orgs to attack because I guarantee you that there's only a couple potential vendors who are going to be able to help you solve some of that problem in an automated fashion. And if you're not allowed to go buy a lot of stuff and spend a lot of money on things, only you will know your org well enough to be able to implement those particular things well enough in your organization. I think security is one of the harder places to do this black box, data science in a box kind of stuff that's starting to emerge out outside of security. It's going to really be a thing in security soon because our security vendors love to throw crap on on, on these black boxes and stick it <laughs> in data centers. And and I, it's just not going to work. And we and we actually just did a podcast on something similar to that, which is you know we we fear that if there are enough um, uh, failures in this this whole data driven security or machine learning or or whatever it is vendors are going to throw out there in the next you know eighteen months, we may actually see a data science winter happen inside information security. We re- we relate that back to artificial intelligence because I'm not sure if. How 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 much folks remember, or how how young folks are, or old folks are on the podcast? But um, for the longest time, for artificial intelligence, 
it's been the savior and then nothing and the savior and then nothing and then savior and then nothing. It basically went into these periods of winters where AI was just thrown away and dismissed completely. And we fear that if there's too much reliance on these automated systems or these black boxes that vendors put in or even bad practices that people might actually begin to implement, that we could have that same problem for 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 data driven you know security and the, and the data science associated with security. So I think folks learning how to you know ask a question like that and answer it for their org and do it well would be a great thing to dive into because there's a lot of meat there that you can start working with and a lot of different data sources you can start playing with. Okay, so that seems like a good time for the question of what resources would you recommend? I'm going to go ahead before you and recommend your book. I don't mind making this podcast a commercial for your book because it's such a fantastic book. And when I ran into a problem, all I had to do was reach out and you and Jay were uh, emailing. We were emailing back and forth when I ran into an issue. It was always my fault for missing like a small little detail, but you guys still helped me getting back on track and, and going through some of the exercises. But what other resources can you recommend? Um, I, I think one one big one, um, and so a lot of a lot of my suggestions are going to be related to the R programming language, just because like there really isn't any other one to use. Python's horrible, and no, I'm just kidding, guys. Uh, I, I get in trouble for doing that all the time. But uh, there, there's a, a book that that's kind of in the R series called The Elements of Statistical Learning. Um, it's not it's not a you know, kind of light light hearted you know like book that like we wrote, but it will cover some serious fundamentals of of just basically doing statistics, asking questions, learning how to ask questions, learning how to answer questions. It, it's again, it's not going to be security data, but you can take some of the data sources that that we've kind of put out there. I actually um, for for the show notes, I put in one for Sec Repo, uh, Mike Sconzo from Bit Nine. He's he's a, he's a good friend of ours and our awesome data scientist, despite the fact that he uses Python. And he has this resource where there's just tons of security that you can go play with. So you can take whatever you're learning in the ESL book and, and even our book for that matter and apply it to this new data if you can't get your own data at work or don't have or if you're not even at a place yet and you don't have any local data or the data that you have is, isn't big enough, go grab some stuff from SecRepo because he spends a lot of time curating that and putting really good stuff up there. So you've got th those kinds of things there. Um, I, I guess the other things that I would say is uh, there's a, a Coursera nine-course uh, kind of regimen for basically data science. I, I, I think it's the data science certificate they call it there. Um, I've audited, the I think, all but the last two of those. I just haven't had time to sit through them to make sure that it's worth going through. But everything before that actually was absolutely worth going through. Uh, there's a, folk, a person on Twitter, Fernando Montenegro. He actually went through the entire thing. He, he read our book first. Then read went through the entire thing and, and, and got and got a certificate and he had learned a lot from from that from that Coursera coursework, um, and then I then I would point people to uh, resources from Edward Tufte um, uh, and Stephen Few and basically take a look at what they do from a visualization and communication standpoint and if you can kind of do those three things like a, so like yeah, a couple of them are books and one's an actual set of coursework that you can do for free if you want to you don't need to actually pay, pay to get their certificate if you just want to kind of do it on your own um, I think those are really good resources to see if this really is the thing for, for you you'll get a chance to really play with stuff work with stuff understand stuff and you know, if, if it is your thing, you will just eat it up and begin to just do things and, and, and go crazy with it. Uh, if it isn't, you, you'll know that, but you'll still have the knowledge of how to apply that when you do need to apply that when, when, when the situation arises. So I think that those, that those resources combined could be a, a pretty good thing for folks. All right. Good, excellent. So is there anything else you'd like to discuss that we haven't already? I, I think you've really asked some, some of the really core 
essential questions. Um, and I, I, have, I actually haven't heard it asked in, a, in such a compact way before. So uh, you've really covered things, I, I think, really well. Right. Uh, I, I guess the biggest thing I can say to folks is don't get discouraged if this is if you've never done this type of stuff before, if you glossed over it in college or didn't even ha- or didn't even have it in college, um, it will feel intimidating at first. It will seem very discouraging at first. And if you can get past that 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 particular stage, I, I think you will really begin to like what you can do with this. When when you create your first visualization that looks awesome, you will be you will you will feel like you have conquered universe with that. When when you have run something and been able to determine something statistically, you will feel like you've got superpowers, right? And and I and I promised a couple of folks that I will never use Superman or Captain America as a reference for those. You will feel like Wonder Woman. Even if you're a guy, you'll feel like Wonder Woman. Uh, if, if 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 you actually have those, if you can actually go do some of that stuff. Um, so so seriously, I, I just don't give up. Don't get discouraged. And if you if you really feel like you are discouraged, my like my Twitter handle is in the podcast. I'm the Big Captain America Shield. Whenever you're on Twitter, I I will make sure that if you hit if you go, I am so frustrated. I I will make sure that you are not frustrated. But by the time I'm done with you. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So what would you like to plug? You got a long list here. So I'm going to, I'm not going to be trying to read them. I'm going to let you go <laughs> ahead and read those. Um, so I, again, so I, if you, you, so you said our book, I, I'm not even going to go there. Um, but the, in terms of the actual, we have a, a website that Jay and I run. We actually get some guest folks on it too, uh, for, for, it's kind of the, the, the blog, it's the, it's a blog and podcast. So it's data driven, data driven security.info, which is a mouthful. So we actually got the domain DDS. So DDSec, DDS.ec, which is a lot easier to remember and type. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you go there, we have, we have a podcast blog and there's some stuff, some stuff related to the book there, but we try to actually put some stuff up that help folks along the way and understand stuff related specifically to data science and security. Um, I have my own website where I, I tend to just blog about R and visualization. And I do a lot of stuff with maps because we don't like maps are stupid for InfoSec, but they're awesome for everything else. And I just love playing with them. Um, <laughs> they, even though maps are really stupid for InfoSec, don't even get me started. So oh, you don't like the Norse IP, but yeah, we, the, there's a reason staple why. in every, every, uh, sock. See, but every sock should use our our our, our pew pew map instead of that. Oh Cause yeah, because the, the pew pew map is way better because it's got sound effects. Yes, uh, which is which is yeah yeah. It, and it's what I what I found the best use for that is that it like just distracts people. Like when you have like tours through your sock, it, <laughs> you always get the people that want to look at that pew pew. Um, yeah. we we are actually so um uh, at, so there's a bunch of us doing it, but Alex Alex Pinto uh, from MLSec Project and I have been trying to put together this whole. Our OpenSec, which is basically it's a riff off of our OpenSci, which is an open science uh, community around doing our stuff. We 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 keep trying to write our our packages and stuff to make security data work easier. So we have this whole initiative there. So there's a link for that. Um, I seriously, if no one has ever visited Mike Sconzo's Sec repo before, uh, it is an invaluable resource for folks that want to start playing with different types of it's of security data. It's one of the best things. And it's one of the unsung things out there that people re- really should be doing. And I have to plug Alex's MLSec project. He is doing some amazing work uh, setting foundations for, for machine learning in, in InfoSec. And it's a really it's a great open project that everyone's you know welcome to join and kind of to kind of do stuff there. So and, and my, my my co-author, he doesn't have a separate blog anymore. Um, he he does blog for BitSite, but uh, you know, he and I are on, on Twitter at Jay Jacobs and Harbormaster in reverse. Uh, so you de- definitely look us up. We we love to respond to stuff. Jay loves it when you find bugs in various R's of our package he wrote, and then then ask him to fix them. He loves that. He re- so find more bugs <laughs> so he can actually fix more stuff in various R, please. <laughs> okay. Anything else? 
Oh, man, I, I think that's pro- probably about it. Uh, we actually have a link to the, the, the book. And actually, this is a great time to buy the book because finally Wiley came to their senses and hasn't priced it out of reach of everybody. So it's actually at a decent price for a change that most people, I think, can afford. So um, I, I would suggest people go, go grab that now. Yeah, absolutely. Holidays are coming up, so get it for your loved one. Buy it makes a great stocking stuff. The the kids love it. It's great for the mother in law. It's everything you need. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I think that's it. Uh, thank you for joining me to discuss what is data driven security. It was awesome to be here. Thank you. And that will do it. Hopefully, you learned something. If you didn't, drop me a line on Twitter at Timothy D Block or email me at Timothy Block at Gmail. Dot com, And let me know what you didn't learn, and we'll try to cover it in a future podcast. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash E-I-S. If you enjoyed the show, share it with others and rate it on iTunes so it can reach others trying to explore information security. Have a good one. <laughs>